Welcome. I've been wanting to talk to you for a really long time. I came across you on Instagram, like I do so many of my guests. And I just like really like the work that you do and like what you share. But before we jump into some of the things that I want to like discuss with you, I do want to give our listeners a bit of background info that I found on you. So you are first generation here in the United States. Yes. You were mm -hmm. born and raised until your early teens in Guadalajara, Mexico. Yes, that okay. is correct. So you came to the States with your family. You you graduated from the California State University in San Bernardino, California? Yes, and this is where I live. Yeah, we all arrived in Montclair, which is about 45 minutes away from here, so not too far. Um, and then because of, you know, those expenses and everything is so expensive, Expenses. San Bernardino is slightly cheaper, so I decided to move out here and things have been well over here. So you go to university and you graduate with a master's, I have it written down because I had to write mm -hmm. down, I didn't want to get it wrong, a <laughs> master's of science yes. in clinical counseling psychology. That is correct, yes. And according mm -hmm. to what I found on the, on the interwebs of the world, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you do volunteer work with a school district? I don't know if it's just one district or several, but you work with students. Yes, yeah, so I do need to update that. Uh, I did have to stop volunteering last year because it was just not sustainable for me. Um, I graduated in 2020 and because I'm fully undocumented, mm -hmm. I'm not able to, the only ways that I can accumulate my 3000 hours. So here's the thing, uh, you have to accumulate 3000 hours uh, clinical hours in order for a person that graduated with that type of master's degree mm -hmm. to become fully licensed. Once I'm fully licensed, I'm able to have my own private practice on my own with that additional supervision. Mm -hmm. But for now, because I do need that supervision, I can, here in California, I can be a volunteer or a W-2 employee. And so because I cannot be a W-2 employee, I have to volunteer. So mm. I did volunteer in 2020, 2021, but I had to stop because, uh, you know, living expenses, it's, it's yeah. expensive to leave and you cannot survive with volunteering work. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And that was actually one of the things that I was curious about. How do you go from, do you do your, mm -hmm. your degree, you achieve and complete it. How do you now put that into practice to where it's you know, you reap the benefits of, of all the work you put in. So I was, I'm glad you brought yeah. that up because I was, you know, wondering, wow, like, how does she do that? Like you volunteer mm -hmm. and then how do you basically meet your financial needs with that? Yeah. So before, you know, my whole life, since I was 12 in Mexico, I started working in the summers at different warehouses or like toy factories or different types of factories. And so when I arrived in the U.S., I started working at 16 in like sweat meets. Uh, and then, you know, they pay you cash. They know, you know, how our situations are. So, mm -hmm. you know, they help you out in that way. And then at the age of 19, that's when I started working in warehouses. So from the age of 19 to the age of 30 something, I've been working in warehouses. And so when I graduated, I was hoping that life was going to be different. But I didn't mind if I had to go back to the warehouse because I wanted my education. I wanted to become a therapist so bad mm -hmm. that it didn't matter. So I was volunteering. Then I realized that another way in which you I can put my 
knowledge into practice and gain some money from that was to create my own business. And so I created Undocumental Health, which is a business, I like to call it, call it an organization, even though I'm only one person running the organization. Uh -huh. um, but I like to, my goal is to destigmatize mental health in the immigrant communities. And what I do is I provide workshops, I provide webinars, presentations, uh, non-clinical support groups. So everything that is related to mental health is just not therapy because it's not legal or ethical for an associate marriage and family therapist to have their own private practice or mm -hmm. provide therapy without a supervisor. Mm -hmm. So I do everything that relates to that but just not therapy or diagnosing or providing a treatment plan. But I am very happy to say that I was able to create, to partner with Immigrants Rising. And together we created a program that allows undocumented associate clinicians, so associate merchant family therapists, associate clinical um, social workers, and associate APCC. Uh, so many abbreviations, right? Clinical <laughs> yes, I was like, I have to remember all of those abbreviations. But we are able to volunteer at a private practice and um, be a part of this program in which we get, well, the participants get uh, leadership opportunities, they get trainings, they get all these different development, leadership development opportunities at the same time that they're providing, that they're being a, a volunteer at a private practice. Mm -hmm. And because they're part of this bigger program, they are able to get a stipend. Oh, so that okay. is the way to go, that we went around that. We, it was so much research, so much like finding the loophole, because that's what right. we do. You know, a lot of immigrants, <laughs> that's what we do. We try to find loopholes. Right, to, to just simply yeah. have a shot at the same opportunities that everybody else who has a different status here, right? Like you just have to find yeah. the way. And I didn't, so I, I do follow you on Instagram and I really do love everything that you share because you do just share information that's very, I mean, it's important for everyone. Everybody, everybody can mm -hmm. benefit from it. But I like the idea of having a platform specifically for those that are underrepresented, yes. having someone that they can look up to and, and sort of see themselves in them in some way. That's extremely important to break down barriers and just to continue yeah. to have that hope of like things will get better one day. Yeah. When I was reading your a little bit about your background, I was surprised to see that you and I actually share some similarities because I was born in Mexico as well. I was mm -hmm. born in Ciudad Juarez and I was raised there until the age of 10. Um, so my sister and I, we came to the States with my mom. I too went to school for psychology. I did achieve my bachelor's in organizational psychology. Nice. And I started my master's, but I have five kids. <laughs> I have five kids and I homeschool them. And I just, it was just something that was not it's hard. Possible. Yeah, it yeah. was not possible for me at the time. The reason I bring this up is because I want to hear from you. What was your experience like 
having come to the States already at a much older age because with my family, it's four, four girls in total. So it was myself and my sister when we came to the States and the younger two were born here. Uh, we did uh, find a pathway to citizenship when we were younger, but it did take a long time. I'm, obviously, I'm not like aware of what the process was like because I was still young and my mom is the one that did right. everything. But our experience, myself and the one you know after me, is very much different. It's a very different immigrant experience for us than it was, and it is still for my other two younger sisters, having mm-hmm. you know having been born in Mexico and then coming to this country. So I'm interested to know and curious to know if you see that difference with other immigrants who, yes, maybe even their status is not uh, one of citizenship or residency here or whatever, but they were born here, um, not born here, but they came here when they were really, really young. Do you see differences between you and them? I think so. And feel free to chime in as well and share a little bit about your story because... As a 14-year-old, I felt that I already had my life in Mexico. Your identity and everything. Home. I had a, yeah, a, this identity as a Mexican teen. I loved going to school. I was already the abanderada, which uh-huh. is like, you know. On I always wanted to be that. I, that was like my goal. <laughs> I was upset I never got to be one. <laughs> Yes, yes. I was, you know, uh, you know, with I, I just loved school. And mm-hmm. mind you, it doesn't mean that if other people didn't like school or were not welcomed in those spaces, you know, that's completely okay. Everybody has their own journey. Mm-hmm. But for me, school was where it, I felt that it was my space, where I belonged, where I felt appreciated, where I, I never got a lot of words of affirmation from my parents, mm. but I always got a lot of praise from my teachers. I'm like, oh, you're so obedient, you're so smart, you're so bright, you're so creative. So hearing those things from the adults and from spaces that was, you know, outside of home, mm-hmm. maybe I would have not been a, such a good student if I, you know, I had what I needed at home at that moment. But anyway, I had I, I felt like I had my life. I had actually a scholarship to because in Mexico you have to pay tuition mm-hmm. from freaking kindergarten. Yeah. Like it's not free. I know. So, and a lot of people don't know that. Thank you for mentioning that because a lot of people yeah. don't know that. So it really is I think it's always a privilege to have an education for anyone. Yeah. But mm-hmm. in places like that where you have to pay, it's really truly something that is not available for everyone. Yeah, it's very difficult. I know my mom just went to fifth grade because Mm -hmm. the family was, they lacked so many resources that my Mm -hmm. mom needed to stop going to school when she was like, what, 10, 11? And she needed to start working in order to, because she was the the oldest one and she needed to support the the family. So for me, you know, being in, I was already in seventh grade and I had already, they were going to give me a full ride for a, what would it be, preparatoria, like high school? Uh-huh. High school in Mexico is very expensive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I can't even think of university how expensive that is. Yeah. So I had a full ride to go to a high school and I was very happy about that. So transitioning here to the U.S. is something that I wanted to do. And at the time, I didn't understand, I didn't fully understand the need of my parents 
to bring us here. Mm-hmm. Now, as an older person, I'm like, holy crap, I don't know how they do that. Yeah. I live here in California and I can't even move with my family to another state. That it's is very so difficult. So I can imagine as an adult coming here with your whole family, not knowing the language, not knowing the way city, of life. not knowing anything. Yes, mm-hmm. that is very difficult. I hated everything here. I hated that I wasn't thriving in school. Math, I was very good at. I knew my numbers. But other than that, the whole learning the language, history, everything was so difficult. When the professors used to make me read out loud and shame me for not saying the The words correctly. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I remember like one time, it's going to live in my head for the rest of my life, I think. But one time, one of the teachers was to read the word C-A-N out loud. And I'm like, holy crap, I know something. So I raised my hand and she's like, okay, go ahead. And I said, can Mm-hmm. And she said, no, it's can. And I'm like, can? And she's like, no, can. Like, she made me repeat it so many times in front of everybody that from that moment, I decided to never participate again. And it, that I carried that for so many years. In high school, I was a bright kid, and I still was not able to get in front of a class and share anything. Yeah, for um, that fear of being like yes. shamed or, you know, I, exactly. I I sort of, yeah, I in, in a lot of ways I relate to that as well because I was older when we came here at 10. And the older you are, the more difficult it is to pick up a new language. Yes. And like I still, out of all four of my sisters, I'm the one that has an accent, which I don't care. But I'm saying, you know, just to see the differences between by the time I came, I came here, yeah. the accent was there and it was very, very hard. I did have a teacher shame me. Um, it was mm-hmm. like, it was tough just surviving every day, every day. Yes. And I don't, I don't know if, if this happened to you. Well, obviously not. Cause like when you mentioned math, I was a really bright student in Mexico. No problems. I didn't even consider it bright I just it came easily to me I never struggled you know Mm -hmm. and so now I realize holy shit I was smart (laughs) you know compared to other kids but we come to the states and the language barrier was so difficult Mm -hmm. for me and then compared to the education that I had received in Mexico up until that point when we came here it was already like they were covering things that we had already covered when I was younger mm-hmm. in Mexico, like in math specifically. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that like threw a loop at me. I just, I could never get it anymore. And then I became in that sense also unsure of myself. And so then mm-hmm. I just, in my head, I have till this day a narrative of like, don't throw numbers at me because it's not my thing. I don't like it. You know, that's that's what I have in my head. But it's because it created a confusion of something that I was like, I think I was covering this in third, fourth grade. And then here I am as a seventh grader and they're just starting. And it was just so chaotic for me. And I never understood that because you you just said, I know my numbers. But mm-hmm. here recently, I got diagnosed as having ADHD. I'm 42. And I just got diagnosed. So I feel that Mm -hmm. maybe that had something to do with it then and nobody caught it. 
and they just they just let you go through the cracks yes yes it's it's so many things that play a role in our lives and a lot of the times we don't have a name for them Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people, when I talked about, when I ask about trauma with my clients or with, you know, people that I come across on the wellness groups and people are like, I can't think of anything. Like I've never, like nothing. I've never been like, when, when people think of trauma, they think of some type of sexual assault or mm -hmm. some type like of like big catastrophic violent type of events. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And then when you're like, well, you know, sometimes immigration trauma is very real and it's not something like you crossing the border it could be experiences like those as the, the ones that we're talking about in mm -hmm. school being an immigrant trying to navigate a new life whether you're five or whether you're 20 or 25 it's it's very difficult to navigate mm -hmm. a new life to learn a new language it's a shock not only in our minds but in our bodies yeah our bodies feel all of this stress mm -hmm. yes the whole with you know with uh black indigenous and people of color and of course it, there's a lot of things that teachers that adults don't see because mm -hmm. they think oh they're just you know it's just the troubled brown kid is a troubled black kid that you know they're just that's how they are they don't have limits at home but yeah. like there's a lot of things for example adhd that if we're not constantly stimulated for some folks for some adhd or if they're not constantly stimulated they get bored yeah and they don't thrive in those spaces exactly yeah. and that's and that's what i think happened to me because my son this this like my whole journey to finding out how i had adhd was so weird like i would have never even thought of it before but my yeah. son my 7 year old got diagnosed and i was like you know what a lot of the things check off on the list the questions that you're asking me about my son i identify with a lot of those things right so they decided to test and of course I too mm -hmm. am considered to have it. But for him, it's hyperactivity from not yeah. just receiving so much information and not being able to like find a way to like focus. And with me, it's the inattentive, inattentive. side of it. Yeah, where if you're not catching my attention, in my head, I'm already 100,000 miles away, even if I'm staring <laughs> right at you, you know? And that's what happened to yeah. with math. I immediately, the moment that I felt lost, there was a disconnection that I just could never close the gap, ever. Yes, yes, it's that, and it's often overseen on females. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because of society, it's always forcing us to mask, forcing yeah. us to, you have to be obedient, you have to sit down. Boys will be boys, they're, you know, they're gonna be running around, but you, you have, have to be to a good down. girl. <laughs> yeah. You have to be a good girl or the emotional side of it. Like, oh, she's just emotional because that's what girls do, right? They have all these feelings. Yeah. My emotions had to do with my ADHD and I just never knew. I was always extremely emotional, very, very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I do think it is a part of my personality, but there's a reason to it, you know, and now I know. So mm -hmm. now I can create self-awareness about that. But yeah, mm -hmm. I just, I just, I find the immigrant story is very, 
unique. It's one that we did, that all yeah. of us can can bond over that. But then even in just each individual immigrant story, there's so many differences. And that's why yes. our immigration system has to be, it can be generalized. It cannot. Yes, yes, yes. Everybody's so different. And for example, the government um, and society has taught a lot of us immigrants and has been putting us against each other, mm -hmm. even family members ag against each other. When the whole dreamer narrative started arising, the younger kids or those that arrived here at a very, very early age that have no memories of what it's like to be in the country where they were born, mm -hmm. they were really drilling their parents. They were like, fuck you and you are the one to blame for my, you did this. Why did you bring me? I didn't ask to be here. You, you know, you and your selfish choices and yeah. it's your fault that I'm experiencing all this. And mind you, all those feelings are very valid mm -hmm. in the sense that it fucking sucks to be undocumented. Yeah. It sucks to be in a country where you've known your whole life that you maybe don't even speak the language that your parents speak. Yeah. And for that reason, just because of that freaking paper, you're not able to go to college, you're not able to find a job, you're not able to get a driver's license, you're not able to do it. You have so many limitations because of that. And you are angry. Yeah. And at the same time, I feel, again, because I understood my parents as they grew older, because I don't know how I would go to another state, let yeah. alone another country. Mm -hmm. Now imagine, I imagine those that are our elders that needed to become migrants and also undocumented and they're not used to, a lot of them are used to taking, taking it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's my fault. Yeah. Yeah. I fucked up. Yeah. Because it's the yeah, culture. Yeah. I did this to you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. It's, it's so sad, but this is, this is one of the many reasons because there's, there's a lot of them, but this is one of probably the most important reason that I really get really freaking excited when I see people as yourself opening these spaces, because it's like, yes, status does matter in order of like, when it comes to the opportunities and, and how you can, you can thrive quote unquote, in this yeah, country, yes. you know, quote unquote, yes. but, uh, but also it, it's just such a reminder of how rich our culture is as immigrants, everybody's culture, how smart we can be, how creative we, you know, immigrants can yes. be, especially undocumented uh, individuals to just survive, right. To provide for their families. It just, it's such, it speaks to so much strength that it makes me be extremely proud to be a part of that community in some way. Now, I also acknowledge yeah. that there is privilege on my side because I now have this status and I don't forget that. Mm -hmm. But I do remember being undocumented very, very young. And I remember the fears and, you know, the yeah. constant worry and stress. But it still makes me very proud and very excited to see so many people just not letting that status or lack thereof, speak their truth. Yes, and I wanted to come back to the whole, we don't have to feel one way or the other. Mm -hmm. We don't have to just survive or we don't have to just thrive. 
sometimes shit's happening all around and it's okay to just survive one day at a time. If one day all you could do is get up and take a shower, that is okay. If yeah. you couldn't, you were not able to take a shower that day and you were able to get up and stretch, that is okay to give ourselves grace yeah. and a lot, a lot of self-compassion and knowing that, you know, you see others like thriving, whatever thriving may mean for each person. And that's awesome. And maybe you are there some days and mm -hmm. it's okay to some days just survive and other days like feeling like you are doing so well despite of that status. And that in the same way, it's okay to feel joy and feel angry. Mm -hmm. It's okay for your parents to feel angry. You know, we are used to think our parents sacrificed so much. So now I have to sacrifice myself. There's guilt. And that I right? would like to, yes. Mm -hmm. I would like to invite people to say like, yes, my parents sacrificed so much and I am grateful. And there are certain things that they did to me that were pretty shitty. Mm -hmm. And I'm still doing this. So it's not like our parents are all bad or all good. Um, even though some parents do pretty crappy things yeah. like extreme abuse and neglect, and that's not okay. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to name it. It's okay to say, hey, my parents used to beat the shit out of me. Yeah. And that is not okay. And at the same time, for whatever reason, I feel grateful for their choices. And that's okay. It's okay to feel both this and this and that right yeah and, i feel like a yeah. lot of things can exist in one place you know because we're mm -hmm. human there's so many layers to us and we can't just feel this one thing and then ignore everything else that may be true to our story mm -hmm. so actually julie i have a question for you yes Since you mentioned about grad school uh -huh. and not being able to continue for a lot of people in our community education has become the if you're educated, you're worthy. Mm -hmm. If you drop out of whether it's high school or bachelor's or master's, whatever it is, if you drop out for some reason, you're not worthy of, or you're a failure, or there's yeah. so many negative labels that we internalize. Mm -hmm. So how has been your experience? And maybe what are some words of encouragement that you would like to let you to tell people that are maybe thinking about dropping out because maybe it's not for them or they just don't want to continue or because yes. it's not possible. Yeah. You know, thank you so much for asking that. I did struggle with a lot of guilt. The only, honestly, the, the main reason why I went back to school was guilt of several things. Guilt of like, the opportunity is there for you and you have nothing stopping you. Mm -hmm. So how dare you not take that opportunity? Because I would think back years before, I, that was not a possibility for me. And now mm -hmm. here it is and you've wasted it. Like what kind of person are you, right? So guilt around that. And then guilt around, my mom's a doctor. My mom's a physician Ooh. in Mexico. So my mom left yeah. the career she was so passionate about. Right. My mom tells me I knew from the age of six, without a doubt, that I wanted to be a doctor. And not a lot of people have that. Right. Not a lot of us can say straightforwardness. At, this is what I want to be for sure. And there's no doubt in my mind. So I would think, oh, my gosh, my mom left something she absolutely loved, was no longer able to continue practicing here in the States. 
so we could have better opportunities. And yet I'm failing her in that way. And so I went back under feeling a lot of guilt, honestly, of like, you should do it because it's there. The pressure. Yes, the pressure. But then I started and and I I don't like, I don't take uh, for granted what I did do because it's given me a lot of knowledge and things that I've applied in my own life that have helped me break other generational traumas and understand things about myself and our surroundings. So I'm very appreciative of that. But there came a point not long ago in my life, because like I said, I'm 42. Okay, so this has been a process of like years and years where I was like, you know what? It's okay if I don't do that, because you said it just a while ago. It's not for everyone. I think knowledge is something that we should all value and be seeking every day. But we don't have to go to this traditional classroom setting or pursue a degree that we're not sure is the way we want to go just to please others. And so I love learning my dad. Like I love reading things that interest me because again, ADHD and attentiveness, <laughs> right? Yes. So as long as it's something that I'm very interested in, I'm every day I'm reading something that like to just feed my soul and my spirit. But I know I I had to, through a lot of work, get rid of that shame of you Mm. are a horrible person for not taking advantage of something that is possible because a lot of people before you have sacrificed for you. And I am grateful. I'm extremely grateful because I don't know what my life would have been had we stayed. Mm -hmm. So I'm very grateful. But I think it's time for us as a community to just start realizing that we are so much more than just a degree. Yeah. And if that's what you love, more power to you, like go after it. But if your passion is making fashion or creating spaces for people where they can vent or like just do what feels good to you. But that's hard to accept as an immigrant, I think. It is hard. Yes, yeah. it is so hard to say, you know, again, the whole, my parents sacrificed so much so that I could become someone. And a lot of the times we feel like we're not someone unless we have this degree. Yeah, We're not someone until we are, you know, the highest in this. Mm-hmm. And it's like sometimes it's okay to be not excellent, but just good at things it's okay to just enjoy things and a lot of the times we associate pain you know the whole no pain no gain or if it doesn't hurt it's because it's not working right sometimes (laughs) it's okay It, it doesn't have to hurt it doesn't have to be painful it doesn't have to you know have to feel heavy all the time in mm-hmm. order to feel like you're succeeding and success is so subjective oh yeah so you know it's okay to do what you enjoy to do and that's something that i like to to preach about mm-hmm. and to practice myself because it is difficult especially when it comes to the education i have the privilege i have many different types of earned privilege and non-earned privileges mm-hmm. and one of them is i have always loved school some people just hate it and then it's not for them and mm-hmm. maybe they want to become photographers you don't need a phd to be a photographer you know and that's okay you can be good at what you do you can take classes you can take courses that are that somebody is providing not necessarily go to get a degree 
in order to say, you know, I'm doctor, I'm as a like I'm professional photographer. You right. Know, <laughs> you don't need that. And that's okay. And a lot of the times we do that to honor our parents' sacrifices. But it's like, to what point are you going to be okay with knowing that this is where I feel like I've given enough? And I need to check in with myself and say, is this, they already sacrificed all this? Is this enough sacrifice? Can I move forward now with my life? Mm -hmm. Or when is, up to what point am I going to stop sacrificing myself? Yeah. Going back to how you can feel multiple feelings at once and they yes. can all be true. Our parents did sacrifice. I think just all immigrants in general yeah. sacrifice so much. And I'm grateful, again, like I said, but at the same time, I just wish they hadn't to some degree because they also had aspirations, you know, that they they kind of felt like, well, I'm already here and now I have to like die working two, three jobs so that I can provide. And, and, like they had no opportunity to feel real joy. I feel like oh, I'm so grateful that that my parents made that choice and I'm so grateful to be here now. But my gosh, I wish that they would have not also. You know, I don't I don't know if it's like something that maybe you can feel or have felt at some point, but I know that definitely just being aware of that. I don't want to teach my children that the only way you're going to make it is if you're killing yourself at work, killing yourself in a school that you don't feel like you belong in just to get validation from other people. Yes. And again, it'll, everybody's story is different. Mm -hmm. Some people made the choice while some others, they, their choice was between dying in their home country or coming or fleeing. Mm -hmm. So again, for, for some immigrants, I know that my I don't know if we would be alive if my, at least my, my brothers were not, I don't know how to phrase it, um, without putting any time of, of shame mm -hmm. on them, but I'm putting shame on society and the way they treat their, their people. So where we were living was not optimal for children to grow up in. Mm -hmm. We were seeing bodies, you know, like we would wake up and like, oh, Fulanita or this person, you know, died because they were in a shooting and they were involved in like this thing. So this happened. My siblings at the age of 10 and 12, because I'm in the middle, 10 and 12, they had already been in jail. So I don't know if, if it was really a choice for my parents. I think for my parents, it's, it could be, it could have been a choice of, my kids are going to die here eventually, mm -hmm. or we have to flee. But for some others, it's more like, you know what, I'm, I'm okay here, but I want to be better. Let's yeah. go somewhere else. So it all depends on everybody's stories. And yeah, that's true. And I do think it's important to, to highlight that because there's been an influx of Migrants from, from Venezuela coming through the border. I'm in, I'm yeah. in El Paso. I'm in El Paso, Texas. And so we're like mm -hmm. right here, border town with Juarez. And I just get so angry at the narrative of like, oh, your government should fix it. Why do we have to support this? And I'm yeah. like, I never had that experience where I was in an environment where violence was so normal. 
but I still can't as a human being think, oh, don't come here. You know what I mean? Like, don't come here. Just get a better job or protest that your government does better. Like, that's that's not how it works for a lot of people. You're right. They have they they have a forced choice to stay Mm -hmm. alive. Yes. And the only way to do that is, well, let's just keep moving forward and see what's for us there just so that we can stay alive. Yes, yes. And I hate the whole, why don't you just become legal? Oh, it's my like, gosh. Oh, <laughs> if, I, if I had not thought of that. I know, like, well, why how stupid of me. I know. <laughs> anytime, anytime I hear that as an excuse, and you know, you know what? When I hear it from somebody who's like non-Hispanic or non-immigrant, because that's another thing. People always think mm-hmm. that that immigrants are just from South America and Mexico, and that's not mm-hmm. the case. Mm-hmm. But anybody that's never had to to go through something like that, I kind of expected. I, I get annoyed by that. Like, oh, well, just go through the legal process. Just apply. Yeah. I get annoyed, but it's like, well, I kind of expect it because you're so detached from the what this is that I don't. I don't expect you to know, right? And so your answer, mm-hmm. though ignorant. It's expected. But when I hear it mm. within our own community, usually from like the second Latinos for Trump. Si, oh my God. Oh, Mayra, me muero. Me muero. <laughs> Pero lo oyes from like second, third, fourth generations. Yes. And mm. I always think, how do you think you are here? Like, how do you think that you have ancestors before? Like, how do you think they made way for you? And when it comes from that crowd, I'm like, I get really angry. I get really angry because I'm like, you're now trying to like kiss ass to the white man just to look yeah. good. And and like you're being, you're letting this group of people steal your identity, rip you of who you are, your roots. And that pisses me off. <laughs> like makes yes, my blood I, boil. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I used to fight with a lot of people, and now I've been trying to choose my battles. Mm-hmm. I know that some people will never change your mind, no matter yeah. how many research articles you send, how many videos, how many, how much energy you spend explaining your life experience, how it works. You can send them the USCIS website about the different paths, that there is no such path for you. You can provide as much as you can. You end up depleted. And that other person is not going to change your mind. They're not. This is not to say that you shouldn't fight or it's not to say, like, don't feel angry. It is what it is. No. But choose your battles. Definitely. You know, if you're, you know, if you're, you know, the holidays are approaching. If you are sitting at a table with the white person saying that it's okay to move the table and to shake it up a little and say, like, no, this is not right. And you should not be saying these things, especially if it's people close to you. And at the same time, know that, you know what, that person has had those feelings for so long. If I challenge those thoughts right now, I may be putting myself in danger. It's okay mm-hmm. to not shake the table and be and preserve yourself, preserve your energy. Maybe next time in another type of setting, you're able to spend some energy in fighting for, for what is right or for what your values are and really educating people. But it's not your job. Just know that it's not your job to educate every single person that is misinformed. Exactly. And I I had someone recently on the podcast tell me, you know what, be safe, be yourself if it's safe. 
And I think that mm-hmm. that sort of like resonates with what you're saying that sometimes for our safety, it's better to not challenge those things, you know, because it's not worth it. Your life, putting yourself in danger like that is it's not worth it. You can do you can do fighting, but we need you here. Right. We need you safe and, and alive and healthy. But there was there was one other thing that I did want to ask you in terms of like mental health. Because I want to make sure we keep it within the one hour. I could talk to you forever, but but I, I, I yeah, I got to make sure I keep it down to an hour for you. As a mental health professional, as someone who's within this community, what do you think is like the biggest challenge for Hispanics, for Latinx people? Like, what do you think is the biggest challenge when it comes to mental health? To let go. I think for me, it's been coming out a lot. It's hard to let go of the guilt. Mm-hmm. It's hard to let go of the shame. It's hard to let go of not honoring others and honoring yourself. It's been very difficult, again, because it's been so ingrained in our minds of the things Mm -hmm. that we should be doing, the things that we should be accomplishing, the people that we should be, the identities that we should be holding, and everything that comes with that. So for me, working on, on letting go of those expectations, letting go of what doesn't serve you, letting go of that guilt and shame that has been put on you. For me, I think that's that's one of the biggest challenges. And another one is we're very compassionate towards others. We're always looking out for others. We're always putting others first. We're always thinking about our elders, our parents. We're thinking about how to help others, how to serve others. And we forget about ourselves. Mm-hmm. When somebody makes a mistake, we think of them as, you know what, they had a lot going on. Yeah. They, you know, there's, there's, and there's not, not excuses. They're like real things. Like, you know what, my friend wasn't able to finish this task. That is okay. My friend was struggling so much. But then when it comes to us, if we don't finish that task, oh, I'm such a failure. I'm stupid. I'm not worthy. I'm yeah. this and that. I would like to invite people to practice self-compassion and -hmm. self-compassion, like intentional self-compassion. When you're thinking, when those automatic thoughts of I'm stupid, I'm not worthy, to really think of yourself as the person that you love the most. Would you be telling that person, yeah, you're not worthy, yeah. Or would you be telling them it's okay to not finish that task? It's okay to not deplete yourself to give others. It's okay to think about yourself, to really take action and to think about yourself in that way. I think it's one of the very first steps to be able to let go of those other things, of all the other expectations, all the guilt, Mm -hmm. all the shame. It takes a lot of work and it's going to be very difficult at first, but at least I think the first step is to work on that self-compassion. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's so true. It's easier said than done for a lot of us, but it is something that I think must be done and must be sort of broken for other generations to not have to carry that. And I think specifically as women, as Hispanic women, we really have so many social cues from the time we're born about 
you know, mm-hmm. how you should talk, how you should present yourself about your sexuality, what you can and shouldn't do, what looks okay, what mm-hmm. doesn't look okay. And then when it comes to, you know, being of service to others, if you, as a mom specifically, if you do anything that appears to be selfish to others, you know, like, oh, I take 30 minutes to go for a jog or I just, I'm not going to do the dishes tonight so I can sit down and watch Mm -hmm. the show that I've been meaning to watch or read a book or whatever, then you're a bad parent. You know, you're a bad mom. And, And I just, I struggled with that for so, so long. But I think because I have multiple children, there came a point where I had no choice but to start learning to let things go. Mm. And and in order to serve my children better, in order to be there for them more, you know, like more present with them, there are things that I have to do for myself. Because then I feel like I've filled my cup in some way. I feel like I've loved myself in some way. And that can be anything. I mean, you know, I, I usually think when people think of self, self-care immediately, you go to the the spa and the bath. Petty, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's okay. Like if that's something that brings you yeah. a lot of peace and joy, great. But I, I think that that self-love comes from literally just if I sit by myself and I watch a movie on my own, to me, that's self-care because I'm putting aside whatever, right? Or if I go for a run or if I go to lift weights, whatever it is. But it is harder for women, I think, in our community to accept that and not, we have to be martyrs in order to be like admired and respected. Yes, for some reason, it feels like we have to do so much in order to deserve that Mm self-care. But self-care doesn't need to be earned. Self-love doesn't need to be earned. Like, it's okay. And self-care, like you mentioned, it could be like drinking water. Yes. That is self-care, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It could look like resting and it's mm-hmm. so hard for us to rest. Yeah. It's like, if I didn't finish all these, all my tasks, I can't rest. If I, if my house is not clean, spotless, I cannot rest. I don't deserve that nap or that extra rest. If my kids are not, I don't know, if I didn't spend this much time with my kids, I don't deserve to be called a good parent. Right. And that is difficult. And for a lot of us carry that guilt, I'm not good enough. Whether Mm -hmm. it's I'm not a good enough student, I'm not a good enough parent, I'm not a good enough immigrant because of the way that we've been socialized. Yes. If you don't achieve this highest degree, you're not a good immigrant. Mm-hmm. If you're not constantly being the social media influencer type of parents that has everything clean, the everything organized, always looking so fashionable, you're not a good parent, <laughs> yes. yes, then you're yeah. not good enough. But mm-hmm. something that I constantly tell myself, and I've been telling myself for years, and again, this doesn't come easy. And just by telling yourself this self affirmation doesn't mean that life is going to change. But I always tell myself. I am doing the best that I can with the resources that I have, with the tools that I have. Yesterday, I did the best that I could with the resources that I had and the tools that I had. That was the best choice. Maybe tomorrow is going to look different because I will gain different tools and I will gain different resources. But what I'm doing right now is the best for me, for my family, for my loved ones. This is what the best looks like. And that is okay. That's true. I would like to encourage people to to really 
acknowledge that that this is the best this is how the best looks like and that is okay mm-hmm. like maybe five years from now you're gonna feel like oh if i only knew this i would have done so much more i would have but you didn't the mm-hmm. fact is that you didn't have those things right now you didn't have that money you didn't have that degree you didn't have those friends you, you didn't, didn't have, have the support, support system. system exactly yes <laughs> and but you didn't and that's okay Maybe in the future you will have that but for now this this is what your best looks like and that is okay because that is your best yeah so that's what I'm trying to tell myself before I call myself a bad parent before I call myself a not good enough person or this is what my best looks like today tomorrow maybe it will be different but right now this is my best this and is my best. I am okay with that yeah that's really good reminder I think for everyone, but especially in our community, that's that's something that really would serve us so much better if we got used to that. Just giving ourselves yeah. grace, like you said, and being kind to ourselves. Well, Maida, thank you so much for making it on the podcast. I really was looking forward to this conversation. I mean, there's just so many more things that I wanted to ask, but we can probably yeah. schedule something for <laughs> another time. We can do a part two. I'm, yes. I'm okay with, <laughs> with that. Yeah, because this is just, there's so many layers comes yeah. to immigration and, and like the spaces that we deserve, the spaces that we need that yeah. don't exist right now. But I can definitely say that there's more people like yourself that are really breaking through through giving those spaces and it makes a difference now but I think down the line it's just gonna make things not maybe not easier in terms of like you know status if you don't have it but just letting go not feeling guilt having someone that looks like you that that sounds like you that's gonna make a really huge difference now that you're mentioning that sounds like you I've all even in grad school, mind you, I finished it in 2020, uh-huh. I was so concerned about my accent because somebody made a comment about not understanding me uh, on the first day of grad school. And that was because I was so nervous and I was like, I didn't want to cry. And I felt like a nudo en mi garganta. I felt like I could not speak. So I rumbled something and they told me, oh, if you want to, I can provide you with the books in, in Spanish so we can make things easier for you. And I was so devastated. Mm-hmm. I was like, no one's going to understand me. My clients are not going to understand me. And right now, I'm so proud of my accent. I don't think I'm ever going to get rid of it and not by choice, but because that's how it's going to be. And I can still be successful in my own way and I can still communicate with people. And mm-hmm. I am embracing that accent. So. I hope that there is people out there that are like, oh, shit, my accent is beautiful. Exactly. It's my who you are. My accent says so much about me. My Your cat, story. My accent is a part of me and my story. Yes. I'm always reminded of Sofia Vergara in an episode on Modern oh, Family man. when she says, do you even know how smart I am in Spanish? <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> and I always think of that because even now after living so many years here in the States and primarily speaking English, right, even though I still have an accent, I still struggle sometimes. Like I think in Spanish and then I spit it out in English. And so sometimes if I'm speaking really, really fast or ADHD again, things are rumbling in my head and I'm just like filter. I don't even filter them out. I get caught, you know, cut off and, and things, my accent comes out even more. And some people have, I think they equal that to like less intellect when they hear yes. an accent. And I'm like, 
if I could debate you right now in Spanish, you would have zero <laughs> chance with me, dude. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. I'm like, oh man, I'm thinking in English and speaking in English, and then I want to do it in Spanish, and then I'm like, ¿Cómo es esa palabra? I don't even know it in English or Spanish. I'm like, <laughs> it's like this little thing and like trying to explain it. And it's like, I guess normalizing all of that and inviting people to embrace themselves as they are. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm very happy to be in this space. Thank you so much for inviting Thank me. Thank you for I'm coming. I'm hoping that we can continue this, this We will. No, <laughs> definitely. Because there's some, just by you saying right now how sometimes, you know, you don't know the, the word in Spanish or English. There's also that barrier of after having been in the States for so long, when you go back to Mexico or you are around other newly arrived immigrants from Mexico or, you know, other Hispanic countries, you feel less than because, oh, I'm not fully mm -hmm. that because I now struggle sometimes to find the words or I forget some of the customs and the traditions. And so then there's that other you know, layers. So there's just so much to like, just unpack that I would definitely be open to doing a part two. That sounds good. Again, thank you so much for, for inviting me. Every time somebody invites me to a podcast or to any type of space, I doubt myself, not gonna lie. I, I'm like, oh, what am I gonna say? I'm not, you know, I, I really don't have much valuable information. Like I'm not that interesting. Stuff like that. Yes, I'm not that interesting. But Once we sit here and we start like exploring all those those things, I'm like, dang, I'm good. I'm really great. I'm rich. <laughs> yeah. I'm brilliant. <laughs> yes, like I have so much to offer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, folks out there, like explore who mm -hmm. you are, those experiences, what those experiences have taught you. Where where is there's room for growth and you're really going to find like how valuable you are, how brilliant yeah. you are, how creative you are. So thank you again so much. I'm looking forward to that part too. Yes. You can let me know when that's yes, happening. That, uh, yeah, I'll let you know. I just have a few like more for the end of the year, but maybe we can even close out the year with that, with something, you know, we can even write down bullets of what we'd like to <laughs> cover because there's just so much, you know, I could just sit here and talk forever about that. But thank you so much for coming. If you can just quickly tell people where they can find you, how they can connect with you. Yes, of course. That's something that I always don't think very much about. Again, there's not much that I have to offer until I'm reminded of how, how much. Yes. So if it <laughs> I think I'm fucking hilarious sometimes. So uh, if you yes. see some of my videos, I you can they, find no, she me is. on Instagram. Yes, she is. I've seen them and she is. <laughs> sometimes I get inspired. Uh, but if you want to find me via social media, you can find me on Instagram at mental health. You can find me on TikTok that I'm slowly getting there at undocumentalhealth. Or you can just check out my website, www.undocumentalhealth.com. Sounds great. And I'll be sure to link it on the post when I do publish it. Awesome. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you again. I'll see you soon. We'll be in touch. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.